0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. This week we are continuing in our series called The Miracles of Jesus. And this week actually is going to be the last week of this series uh, for now. We've done this series before, we jump back in this time, and one of the special parts, which I'm sure you've now realized uh, over the last couple of weeks, but if you haven't been here, one of the special parts about the way we're doing the Miracles series this time around is that uh, Pastor Vince isn't preaching every series, uh, every sermon, so uh, I'm preaching. We've had some of the other brothers uh, who feel called to preach, preach, and uh, we want to affirm the call in brothers who, who feel the call, and we want to open up opportunities for them. So uh, this week, again, I'm presenting the Word. So in this series, The Miracles of Jesus, we've been looking at um, the, the miracles that Jesus has performed over the last... Uh, three years over the three years of his earthly ministry we're, we're looking at and studying these miracles uh, to see what they can teach us about our God and, and looking at the life the actions and, and the words of Jesus is one of the best ways we we get to know and understand who God is and what he's really like and and why is that why is looking at Jesus one of the the best ways we can understand who God is Tonight, we'll see a little more clearly why that is. That's because understanding, uh, tonight we'll understand that Jesus is the very image of God. Jesus, in fact, is God. So, as we look at the miracle we are studying tonight, we are asking God to help us to to grow in faith and to grow in love for him. Also, uh, we want to to better understand ourselves and how it is that we relate to God and how it is that we should relate to God. To God so this week we're going to be looking at the miracle of Jesus calming the storm this this miracle it's it's recorded in in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. Uh, before we zero in on our, our set of scriptures tonight I'm, I'm going to be teaching primarily from Mark, but before we zero in on those scriptures, I, I want to take a look at the overall picture of of where we are at, where we're at in the story of Jesus's earthly ministry. So, if we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is thrown in there as well. Um, if we look at those Gospels and we look at them chronologically, uh, in, in chronological order, here's where we kind of find ourselves in the story of, of Jesus's ministry. Uh, Jesus has he's chosen his twelve disciples— uh, Jesus has given his longest sermon that he will preach while he's here on the earth, which is the Sermon on the Mount, and that is the sermon that contains the, the Beatitudes, the, the Lord's Prayer, and the Golden Rule. Jesus has, has healed uh, the centurion's servant. He's, he's raised the widow's son from the dead, and, and there's a lot of other stuff, but those are some of the, the key aspects of, of what has happened so far. So now, zooming in, Uh, specifically to where we're at now uh, in this story of Jesus calming the seas. Zooming in, Jesus and his disciples are at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had had been teaching for a long time here. Uh, He had been teaching through the parables, and and we know that there's 10 plus parables that that he taught that are recorded in scripture. The the Bible also notes that Jesus was teaching these parables to large crowds and, and large groups of people that were following him around. And and the Bible also makes clear that at the same time he was teaching to, to these large crowds and all these people, at the same time he was then pulling away with the disciples, and privately he was uh, explaining to the disciples all these parables. So he was doing a lot of teaching to a lot of people. So, <clears throat> so Jesus had been teaching all day. It was, it was the same day that, that he had been teaching that, um, to such a large crowd that There was such a large crowd on the shore that he actually got in a boat right off the shore to teach them because the crowd was so big and the the water would help project his voice. So this is the same day that he is out on a boat and he's teaching uh, to this large crowd. So he had been teaching all day and now uh, evening had come. And so this is is where we pick up the story. Jesus had been teaching all day, doing tons and tons of work, uh, talking to lots of people. And now um, we pick up the story here. And, and so if you would, please open your Bibles to, to Mark 4, verse 35. I'll give you a second to find it. Mark 4, verse 35. We're going to read um, verses 35 to 41. You found it? Sounds like it. All right, here we go. Verse 35. On that day... When evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. So, Here we have Jesus and the disciples crossing over to to the other side of the Sea of Galilee at night. A couple things I want to point out uh, as we we dig into this for context. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is almost 700 feet above sea level, level, and it's surrounded by highlands and mountains. So here's something to note. Uh, When the cold air from the surrounding mountains comes down, uh, the warm air from the sea is coming, and when they collide, it often resulted in... Uh, unexpected storms over the Sea of Galilee. Another thing to note is that the fishing boats uh, of the time that the the Galilean fishermen would have used um, were boats that had low sides. And they had low sides so that the fishermen could easily throw nets in and and bring the nets up full of fish. Uh, So these boats with low sides, they would have been pretty susceptible to um, being toppled and, and being filled with water during storms. However, I want to point out, even though we do know those two things, um, we can draw from this account uh, that the storm must not have been any normal type of storm. And here's why. Uh, Partially because of the language that's used in the scriptures, it it, it implies more of a a scary and and violent type of storm. Also, four of the 12 disciples that would have been on these boats, um, Peter, Andrew, uh, James, and John, they were all fishermen, and they had most likely been, been fishermen from their youth. So they had fished on the Sea of Galilee almost, I would say, pretty much basically their whole lives. So they would have been accustomed with these uh, reoccurring unexpected storms. But how did, they, how did they respond? The way they responded seems to, to imply that, you know what, maybe this wasn't a typical normal type of storm. So I wanna, I'm going to look at verse 35 again. It says this, On that day when evening came... He said to them, let us go over to the other side. So it's, it's Jesus who says, let's go to the other side. The, the disciples, they were, they were simply obeying Jesus and following him, and yet they ended up in a storm. The disciples, were, they were serving their master and listening to, to his word. They believed Jesus. They, they loved Jesus. And they were not afraid to, to give up everything to follow Jesus. And yet, here they are in the middle of a storm. So, so here's what I want to point out. Just because we as Christians, we are, we are no longer dead in our sins and, and alive in Christ, that does not mean that we won't face storms. We can't be surprised if we endure sickness, losses, and disappointments. Jesus has, has promised us who have believed by grace through faith that no matter what may come, he will be with us and he will see us through to the end when we see him face to face. But he did promise that. But what he never promised was that we will not have trials, afflictions, and storms. Isn't that kind of what... Um, what First Peter says, right? First Peter says, says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your, tes- for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So what's this saying? This is saying almost the exact same thing. Peter's like, hey, hey, uh, guess what? Don't act like this is some strange thing. Don't be surprised when these trials and storms come your way because they will. But guess what? You should rejoice in those. I, I know many of us can attest to, to this being the truth in our lives. Many of us have, have personally gone through storms and, or we've had loved ones who have gone through storms. But, but here is what we can rest on no matter what. Here's where we can, we can stand firm and, and, and find solid ground amidst the storms. Jesus is faithful. He's always faithful. He is, as, as we even just sang, he is our hope and the anchor for our soul. Just as we saw the disciples go through the storm, and, and Jesus was with them and saw them through the storm, Jesus will, will be with us through our storms. To the end. He will see us through to the end either here and now or when we see him face to face, but he will not leave us or forsake us. J.C. Ryle, a a theologian from the 1800s, he says this By affliction, he teaches us many precious lessons, which without it we should never learn. By affliction, he shows us our emptiness and weakness draws us to the throne of grace, purifies our affections, weans us from the world, makes us long for heaven. In the resurrection morning, we shall say, it is good for me that I was afflicted. We shall thank God for every storm. So even when Jesus seems to to be leading us through the valley of the shadow of death, Right? Referencing Scripture again. We should fear no evil because He is with us. Um, my mom said something to me years ago that I had never heard. and I'm pretty sure she's not the one who, who made it up or said it. I just never heard it. And yes, I am a mama's boy, so whatever. Anyways, uh, she, she said this. She said, prepare for war in times of peace. So, so here's, here's how I'm understanding that in light of, of, of being a Christian. We as followers of Christ should expect storms, and when we aren't in the midst of storms, we should prepare for them. But he, here's the reality. I, I don't know about you, but Oftentimes when my life seems to be going good and everything is happening just the way I thought it would or just the way I I want it to go, I I tend to slack off. I tend to rely more and more upon myself. I tend to to find other ways and other things to fill my time and I seem to spend less and less time in, in prayer, less and less time in reading his word, less and less time in worshiping him. I'm getting some holy stares right now. I, I don't think I'm the only one. Um, so I, I think that's a, that's a natural tendency for us. When things are going good, we, we seem to, to, to slack off. We seem to, oh, well, maybe I don't need Jesus as much as I did when things were tough and hard. So when we find ourselves doing this and then a storm comes our way, and we can always expect storms, right? Right? When they come our way, what, what happens? We're, we're unprepared and we're weakened. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? I'm, I, what I'm saying is, so let's look at it from, from the army perspective. If, if there's an army who only prepared for war when war was happening, they wouldn't really be prepared at all, right? They would be out of shape, unpracticed, and most likely unskilled, or at the very least, super rusty, However, if there's an army who is preparing for war by practicing, studying, exercising at all times, war or peace, won't they always be ready and in better shape? Likewise, how can we expect to be prepared for spiritual warfare and storms if we have only been doing the minimum if, if we have been praying just enough to maybe ease our conscience, if we have been reading our Bible just to, to check a box off a list of tasks, or if we have been worshiping, and we, I'm, I'm not going to get into the definition of worship, but we, if we have been just worshiping on Sundays when we gather with the church. Here's, here's what I'm saying. We have to constantly seek Jesus more. We have to pray more. We have to read his word more. We have to worship more. In these ways, we are being strengthened spiritually. In these ways, we are preparing to to stand firm, trusting that for us, all of God's promises are yes and amen, no matter what battle or storm comes. So so what else can we learn from this miracle story? We can learn something about who Jesus is. In, In this story, we see the humanity of Jesus. So what, what's verse 38 says? It says, um, hold on. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. So, as I already mentioned, Jesus had, had been working hard all day. He had been teaching large crowds and teaching the disciples. He was dealing with all kinds of different people who all wanted something different from him. And, and it was evening. And he needed uh, time away from the crowds. And he knew on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he had even more work to do. So Jesus being fully human, he he must have suffered from exhaustion during his earthly ministry. So in this story, uh, and I'm pretty sure this is the only place this is mentioned, uh, that Jesus is sleeping. I don't think it's mentioned anywhere else. But in this story, we find Jesus exhausted and sleeping. He was, he was so tired that he was literally sleeping through this crazy storm. This should help us to see that Jesus had the same basic needs every single one of us has. And, and that should help us to see that Christ's humanity is part of what qualifies him to be our merciful intercessor between us and God the Father. Be, before moving on, I want to I want to look at what might be the only correct things that the disciples did uh, in this story. So what's, what's the, the one thing that the disciples, out of this story, what's the one thing that seems to be that they did right? At first glance, you might be like, um, uh, nothing. But, but here, here it is. It's real complicated. Here it is. They turned to Jesus However, like many of us, uh, it, it seemed to be a last resort. How often do we, when, when life's violent waves are tossed upon us, try everything we can on our own? We expend all of our energy, turn to all the resources that we can, that we can find. We turn to logic, and then we, once we've tried and exhausted ourselves and everything we can come up with, then at that point we throw a bone to to the Lord and and ask for his help. But but isn't this completely backwards? We must at all times first and foremost turn to the Lord because he is our very present help in time of need. I want to read verse uh, 38 to 41, and, and then we'll tackle this whole section of scripture. So it says this, Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke and, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. So so here are the disciples, the same disciples that, that had given up everything to follow Jesus, the same disciples who have heard Jesus teach and seen Jesus perform miracles, and yet in the face of this storm, what was their response? Jesus, don't you care that we are dying? So you know what I'm about to do. Like the disciples, our temptation is to cry out in storms. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't you see what's going on? Jesus, are you sleeping? Jesus, are you even there? Theologically, we we may know better than to say this, but existentially, if we're honest, we aren't sure at times. We often, like the disciples... Listen, listen to this. We often, like the disciples, plead with God during our storms while at the exact same time doubt his character. However, Jesus, as we just saw, he knows the trials of man. Why? He knows the trials of man because he was fully man and he experienced trials. He knows the frailty of humankind. Why? Because he felt them. Jesus understands what we mean when we cry out to him for help in this world. Jesus understands and cares for those of us who love him. You see, it it wasn't that that the the disciples didn't have faith. They, They surely believed Jesus, but it's clear at this time that their fears prevailed so they seemed to have no faith at all. The antidote to fear is what? The antidote to fear is faith. The cure to fear is trusting in Jesus, trusting that he cares for us and that he works all things together for our good and for his glory. Charles Spurgeon says this, Remember that we have no more faith at any time than we can have in the hour of trial. But all that which will not bear to be tested is mere carnal confidence. Fair-weather faith is no faith, only that is real faith in Jesus Christ, which can trust him when it cannot trace him and believe him when it cannot see him. So Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He turns to them, and and he says, in essence, calm down. I was always in complete control. And and, And Jesus, he says the exact same thing to each and every one of us in every storm that we're in. He says, calm down. I was always in control. I am always in control. I was in control, and I will be in control. Oh, Jesus says to us, he says things like, like, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer, talk to me with thanksgiving, and I will give you peace that transcends understanding, and I'll guard your heart and your mind. The, the disciples, they, they lived with Jesus, but they underestimated him. They didn't see that his power applied to their very own situation. Aren't we often like the disciples, often often underestimating Jesus's power to handle crisis in our lives? Again, we must continually seek his face so that he will strengthen our trust in him. We must cry out in all earnestness, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So we've, we've seen that, that Jesus is fully man. And now in the story, we see that Jesus is also fully God. So the disciples run up to Jesus during the storm when, when the waves are crashing over, uh, when it seems like they've, they've held out for as long as they can. They run up to Jesus, and they, they wake him up. And, and what happens? Jesus immediately, he, he gets up, and he looks to the wind and to the sea, and he says, hush, be still. Here's what we don't see. Here's what we don't have, have any indication of, that that. That he got up, acknowledged the disciples, and had a little conversation with them. No, we don't see that. We don't see that he even acknowledged them. We see that they they woke him up, he got up, And, and what else don't we see? We don't see that he made some big deal about what he had just done. We don't see him run to the side of the ship and brace himself. We don't see him roll up his sleeves like he's about to do something crazy. We don't see him even ask God. What do we see him do? We see him simply speak. And, and then what happens? Nature immediately responds. So why? why? Why did the wind and the water respond and obey? The wind and the water responded and obeyed because they, they knew Jesus' voice. You see, he was there at the beginning when there was nothing, and he simply spoke, and he said, let there be, and there was. Amen? So, so of course... Creation bows and obeys when its creator speaks. They completely obey. The wind and the water completely obey, so much so that this, this great storm immediately, immediately becomes a great calm. We've already seen that, that Jesus is fully man, but, but here's what we see now. We see that Jesus is also fully God. Jesus is fully man and yet fully God. This is what the disciples even now understand, right? How, how did they respond to, to Jesus calming the storm? Here's how the disciples responded to Jesus calming the storm. They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Here's here's why we can imply that the disciples understood now who Jesus was, even more so than they maybe would have understood. The disciples would have been familiar with Old Testament scriptures. Scriptures like, like Psalm 65 that say things like this about God. You, God, still the roaring seas and the roaring waves. Or they were even probably familiar with Psalm 107 that said things like, the Lord caused the storm to be still so that the waves in the sea were hushed. Or or maybe even what came to mind for them during this episode was, was the story of Jonah, where a suspicious storm develops and is quieted by God, and all the witnesses are left terrified. No doubt the disciples understand completely Who they are in a boat with now. They are in a boat with the one and only true God. The creator and sustainer of all things is among them, right in front of them, and they just doubted him. The only thing more frightening than being in a small boat in the middle of a big storm is being in a small boat with the God-man who speaks to big storms and succeeds, And so the disciples, what happens at this point? So at this point, the disciples' fear, it it turns from from the storm to Jesus. No longer are they fearful of creation, but their fear has been shifted and placed in reverence to the creator. And, And this, friends, this is where fear is to be held. You see, God created fear to be held in a place of reverence for him you see, it was, it was fear that defeated their fear. What caused the, the, the shift in the disciples was the fear of the Lord. A reverential awe and, and more complete understanding of who Jesus is. Isn't, isn't that also what the scriptures say? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom seeing and understanding who Jesus is and how big and mighty and set apart he truly is, and then being awestruck and deeply respecting him and trusting him above all things and above all situations, this, my friends, is what will silence all other fear and bring peace. We will not find Peace and tranquility by trying to to empty our minds of of everything that may frighten us, worry us, or make us anxious. We will find peace and tranquility by filling our minds with the truth of God's majesty. We will find peace by filling our minds with the truth of God's glory. We will find peace by filling our minds with the, the truth of God's goodness and His grace and His promises towards us when we make much of our fears okay listen listen when we make much of our fears our understanding of who God is is diminished however when we make much of our inexhaustible God our seemingly big fears will diminish and pale in comparison The disciples understood that that not only is God bigger and more powerful than anything they could ever fear, they also understood that they were in the presence of the holy God before whom all sinners must tremble. His his purity calls for destruction of everything. His purity calls for the destruction of, of everything that's not perfect. The disciples, you see, they didn't have the whole picture yet, but they will see the whole picture of of Christ's finished work. So, we now stand, though, seeing the whole picture. We see the great mercy of Jesus. By the Father's grace, all those who trust in Christ alone can endure the holiness of God. We can stand in His presence unafraid, because by his precious, perfect blood, our sin has been covered. We are made perfect and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Because of this, all that is left is a loving fear, an all inspiring reverential fear of him that brings us to peace. So as I, as I get ready to, to wrap up, I want to revisit something that, that I mentioned Earlier, And, and that's, that's the story of Jonah and its similarities to this miracle of Jesus. And uh, I do want to point this out. A lot of, of what I'm about to, to say, I adapted from a book by Tim Keller called Jesus the King. It's, it's a really great book. If you haven't read it, I would say get it and read it because it's good. So, the story of Jonah... And this miracle story of Jesus calming the storm. Both Jesus and Jonah were in a boat, and both boats were overtaken by a storm. Both Jesus and Jonah were asleep. In both stories, the sailors woke up the sleeper and said, We're going to die. And in both cases, there was a miraculous divine intervention, and the sea sea was calmed. In both stories, the sailors then become even more terrified than they were before the storm was calmed. So what do we have? We have here almost two identical stories with just one difference. In the midst of the storm, Jonah said to the sailors, in effect, he said this, there's only one thing to do. Here's what Jonah said. If I perish, you survive. If I die, you will live. And then they threw him into the sea. And here's the difference. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says what? He says this. One greater than Jonah is here. Who is he talking about? He's referring to himself. He's saying this. I am the true Jonah. Someday I'm going to calm all storms. I'm going to still all waves. I'm going to destroy destruction. I'm going to break brokenness. I'm going to kill death. When Jesus was on the cross, he was thrown willingly into the ultimate storm under the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. Jesus was thrown into the, to the only storm that can actually sink us, the storm of eternal justice, of what we owe for our wrongdoing. That storm, it wasn't calmed. It wasn't calmed not until it swept him away. So, if the sight, if the sight of what we just talked about, Jesus being thrown into this ultimate storm, Jesus sacrificing all for us, if, if the sight of Jesus bowing his, his head into that ultimate storm, if it's burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care? And if, if you know that, that he did not abandon you in that ultimate storm... What makes you think that he would abandon you in in much smaller storms that you're experiencing right now? Not only this, but Jesus will someday return and he will still all storms for eternity. Here's what I'm saying, friends. here's, Here's the end. If you let what I just talked about, if you let that penetrate you to the very center of your being, you will know that he loves you. You will know that he cares for you. And then you will have the power to handle anything that comes at you in this life. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful. So grateful that you willingly stepped into the ultimate storm. Under the ultimate waves of sin and death for us. Jesus, we are in awe of the fact that you are fully man and yet at the same time fully God. We are so grateful that you understand our pain and you understand our suffering because you have experienced it. Jesus, you are worthy of all of our trust. I pray that that you would bind our wandering hearts to you. God, I pray that that we would cling to you at all times and through every storm. May we run to you, God, first and foremost, when when the waves and storms of of life come. God, you are inexhaustible in every way. You are full of grace, full of mercy, full of love. God, may we reflect more and more. Upon you, May we seek your face more and more that we may be overwhelmed. God, overwhelm us with reverential awe of who you are. God, may we never say that, that you don't care. But may we understand and know that you care so much and love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place for our sins. So how much more, God? How much more Will you care for us and love us through every storm? God, we say this. We say that we believe, and yet at the same time we pray, Lord, increase our faith in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.